1: Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. It's wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And uh, we've just been through the beautiful and inspiring festival of Shavuos, of the receiving of the Torah. And it's not a historical commemoration, but rather it's an event in which we are supposed to receive the Torah in our lives, in the present day of our lives. And it's supposed to impact us very deeply to see what the Torah means to us, and how significant is it in our lives? Do we choose it as something that we connect to and we um, use to enrich our lives and to develop and grow as human beings? Or is it a cute, quaint, little traditional side thing in our lives that doesn't have much meaning or significance? So that's the question we all ask ourselves in Shvurs. And I hope that our listeners had a inspiring Shvurs and there were many learning programs and lots of activity here in Johannesburg, Baruch Hashem. And uh, the shuls were very active in offering programs and encouraging people to come and learn. On the night of shuls and the day of Shavuos, there were many guest speakers who were visiting. And we in our community had Rabbi Shimon Green, um, the founder of Birka Torah, and uh, a great Talmud Gochem, excellent speaker, was very inspiring to learn with him on Shavuos night. We had a large number of people staying up the whole night and learning, which was not easy. It's not easy here in the southern hemisphere because the nights are so long. In the northern hemisphere, it, uh, the, the night is much shorter. Um, by the time Yom Tov comes in and it's nights, it's only about four or five hours of learning. Where uh, here we have at least nine hours of learning. But Baruch Hashem was a beautiful experience, and therefore um, we leave the chag um, with a heavy. Part, but hopefully changed people, new people recommitted to and re-inspired by the great gift that Hashem gave the Jewish people The Holy Torah Today is the 11th of Sivan So Shavuos was the 6th and 7th of Sivan Today is the 11th of Sivan And uh, yesterday was the 10th of Sivan So let's go through the significance of the next few days And there's some very interesting Yacht sites and commemorations Worth mentioning at this time Yesterday being the 10th of Sivan Was the Yacht site of Rabbi Kolonimus Wasotsky Now that might ring a bell to you Wasotsky I'm sure our listeners are thinking Where do I know that name from Why is it familiar to me Wasotsky is the famous tea um, Brand in Israel So so Kolonimus Wasotsky Was a very well known Russian Tea producer and a very a big philanthropist. He died in 1904, and he owned the tea concession for the tsar's entire army. And since the tsar's soldiers numbered in the millions, and tea was a drinking routine and custom within the Russian people, um, this concession made Wasotsky a very very wealthy man. One day. Wysoski was approached by the World Zionist Organization to begin a tea business in Israel. And he laughed at the suggestion. He said it was a preposterous idea because the market was small in Israel and the Turkish Turkish bureaucracy was very, very strict at the time. The Turks ruled in Israel at the time and tea leaves from India were too costly to import. So... He initially turned down the idea, but the Jewish leaders persisted, and Wosotsky uh, relented and started a very small tea company in Israel. After his death, the company was passed on to his heirs. In 1917, the communists took over, and there was a revolution in Russia, as we know, and they seized all of Wosotsky's company's assets, And from being a very, very wealthy man, overnight, he was left with nothing. The only business left in their possession was the small company that they had started in Israel at the behest of the Zionist leaders. The family got out of Russia, and they went to Israel, and they built the business over there. And Wasotsky today is the leading brand of tea in Israel with exports to countries all over the world, including Russia. So really it's worth mentioning because it's quite a powerful um, vignette of the Jewish people and of our outlook to life. And sometimes we see that our attachment to and contribution to the Jewish people is a little bit of a bind is something that perhaps is inconvenient and uncomfortable for us gets in the way of our comforts and of our and of our ease but sometimes that's our saving grace and our connection to the Jewish people and our contribution to the Jewish people our conscious effort to be a part of klal yisrael really could be that which saves us that which is the lost uh, the lost uh, Hope we have in our lives And it's definitely the case spiritually So we see that very clearly In material terms With regards to Wasotsky And his family and his heirs And them being able to have something to go to In Israel to build up the business there But spiritually it's the same That our connection to the Jewish people Our Playing our part In Team Klau Yisrael Is our eternity that's our connection to, it, to our eternity that will save us for eternity and so it's very important that all of us think about that and remember that we Jews and we part of the Jewish team and we all have a role to play in Ky Israel and if, if we turn our backs on Hashem and on the Jewish people we are going to be the ones who are going to suffer most from it because the job will be done hashem will make sure the job is done. And if we don't do it, somebody else will do it, as Mordechai said to Esther. But we all have a role to play, and it's important that we recognize that, that we embrace that, and we identify our roles in, um, the all-important task of building the Jewish people as best we can, both materially and spiritually. So that was yesterday, the 10th of Sivan. Today is the 11th of Sivan. The 11th of, of Sivan is the anniversary in 1924 of the establishment of the town called Bnei Brak in Israel, which is just east of Tel Aviv. Bnei Brak means the Sons of Lightning, actually. Bnei Brak is, Barak is lightning. Um, Bnei Brak is known as the center of Talmudic scholarship and was the home of the many um, famous great Talmudic Hachamim, of the 20th century, for example, the Chazanish, um, Rav Karalitz, and, uh, Rav Shach, the great Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Shach, or the Ponovich Yeshiva, um, Rav Yisrael Yaakov Kanievsky, the Starplagoon, Rav Chaim Kanievsky's son, they all were in B'nai Brak. Now, Bnei Brak is mentioned in the Torah, in Yahushua. It's the, and, and also the, we mentioned in the Haggadah of Pesach, you know, the all-night Seder of Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues was in Bnei Brak. So the reason why I'm mentioning it is, is today is the anniversary of 1924. Ninety-nine years ago, the town of Bnei Brak was founded, and it's a great center of Jewish life and of Torah learning. And one of the great leaders of the Jewish world who lived in Bnei Brak passed away and was buried yesterday, Um, Rav Gershon Edelstein. Was one of the Since the passing Of Chaim Kanievsky So Rav Gershon Edelstein Was seen as the head Of the Yeshiva world Of the Ashkenazi uh, Lithuanian Yeshiva world And he passed away And was buried yesterday So when we come back We'll discuss Who he was And his great contribution To the Jewish people
0: Please stay with us This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Sachstein on 101.9 High FM.
1: We're talking about uh, today being the anniversary of the establishment of the town of Bnei Brak, 99 years ago, 1924, just east of Tel Aviv. And Bnei Brak for this time has been a great light In the world of Torah With great Torah sages living there And uh, teaching there And one of those great sages Who was viewed as the leader Of the yeshiva world Rav Gershon Edelstein Passed away and was buried yesterday um, Over there There were over 200,000 people That were at his funeral He passed away at the age of 100 So that's a lot of people 200,000 So who was he And what can we learn from him? Rabbi Edelstein, he taught in the Panevich Yeshiva, which is the the great Yeshiva in Banebrach, for more than 70 years. And he um, was known for his tremendous kindness, his humility, his love, his compassion, and his deep understanding of complex texts that resonated very deeply with his students. So let's maybe learn uh Sivan Rachov Meir wrote a beautiful article about the three things we can learn from about Edelstein which I'd like to share with you. The first one is respect and kindness. About Edelstein treated every person Jew and non-Jew religious and non-religious with tremendous dignity, respect and kindness. His house was open to people from all walks of life in Benebrack. Um last week the head of Israel's secret service Visited him, so did the American ambassador, Tom Nides. Um, it didn't matter to him whether you were the ambassador, whether you were the prime minister, or whether you were a child. He treated everybody with equal respect and decency, giving them time and feeling their pain. And this was certainly part of his greatness, his ability to come down to the level of every single human being. A, uh, I can testify to the truth of that because um one of the groups that I took to Israel with uh, people from our community to go and learn for a few days in Yeshiva. So we went to B'nai Brak and we went to his house unannounced. It was not prearranged. And we said, we have a group of South Africans who have come to learn Torah. Um, maybe the Rabbi will share some Torah with us. And he invited us in and we sat in his living room and he spoke to us for about a half an hour with Tremendous love and care and humility and embracing all of us was really moving and very very touching. A very busy person who was sought after by most of the Jewish world made time for us and opened his home in a very loving way. And so that was his personality, and that's why he endeared himself to so many who um, who looked after him. A distressed student went to him. Um, during the lockdowns and uh, said, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling great and I'm, you know, it's such a hard time. And what area should I strengthen in uh, right now at this time? And uh, he said to him, you should strengthen your humor. Um, he realized that the pandemic and the all of the uh, restrictions in the pandemic were very serious. And he pointed this boy to be happy and not to be down and depressed. So he said, Try and introduce some joy and and happiness into your home, which is such a beautiful insight. So that's the first one, is that he had respect and kindness for everybody. Secondly, he was known for his tolerance and for his love. He believed in tolerance, and despite if somebody had a different religious practice to you, was on a different level in terms of their commitment to Torah and Mitzvahs, he was always open and embracing um, for example, Rabbi Edelstein encouraged a father who usually had a walk with his son on Shabbos, and his son was now not keeping Shabbos anymore. And um, even though his son would maybe sometimes smoke a cigarette, he said to the father, "Keep up those walks on Shabbos, because you must ensure that your relationship makes is is alive, and that you're not his rabbi, you're his father. You're there to accept him and to love him, and not to judge him." And uh, thousands of Jews who who are not observant actually were at Rabbi Edelstein's funeral in appreciation for his teaching others to um, love and to embrace and to keep families together. And finally, thirdly, one of the teachings that Rabbi Edelstein emphasized was he said you should know who your enemy is. It's not an external enemy. It's your internal character flaws. The primary battle in the life of a human being is against our lower self, is against our envy, is against our pursuits for power and for pleasure and we, and our sensitivity to others. So we should work on our lower self and fight that battle. That's the real enemy is the lower part of a human being, which is a part of all of us. And we should be uh, conscious of others around us and try and to our utmost best To uplift and to help And to strengthen those around us So this priority um, Is to focus on refining our personality And striving to be a genuine human being So this is the battle That he waged for a remarkable hundred years It was a great example A great dogma to all those that knew him And we should learn from example And please God, strive to achieve greatness in our own lives. So the last thing I wanted to, to discuss with you today is that this Shabbos is the 14th of Sivan, and it is the Yotzat of Rabbi Chaim of Velozhin. Rabbi Chaim of Velozhin was one of the greatest in the history of the Jewish people. He um, passed away in 1821, which is uh, interestingly 103 years ago was the passing of Rav Chaim But his impact on the Jewish world was absolutely immense. So let's talk a little bit about him and about what he did and what his contribution to Klai's role was, which is really the theme of our talk today, is realizing the capacity that each one of us has and how we all have a role to play within the Jewish people. Rav Chaim Velozhen was born on the seventh day of Sivan. Um, seventeen forty nine. So interestingly enough, that day, the seventh of Sivan, forty nine, is actually the Yotzite of the Gertsed. We we discussed the Gertrick before. The Gertr was a convert to Judaism from Poland. His name was Valentin Petoki. And it's a very famous story how he came from the wealthiest family in Poland and they um he he uh went to Study in a monastery and he was a very smart boy and he saw through the, the, um, the, the weak arguments of Christianity and he searched further and further and he came, he was very much taken up with the Old Testament and he realized the truth of the Torah. And he lived a, a Torah life in Harding, because his uh, conversion was a great embarrassment to his parents. And they, I won't tell you the whole detailed story um, But to cut a long story short He was discovered And he was uh, brought to the Polish government And they told him he needs to um, Renounce Judaism and the Torah Otherwise he'll be burned at the stake And he refused to do so And he was killed He was burnt alive um, On the seventh day of Sivan, 1749 In Vilna And on that very day isn't that unbelievable? Which was, I mean, there was Shabbos. There was this last Shabbos, and the next Shabbos um, is actually the Yosher Ruchaim Velojin. He, he, he died a week after he was born, uh, seventy-two years later. But on the day of the of the killing of of um, and the the murder of execution of the Gerat Zedek, so that's the day of Velojin was born. So one great light left the world, and another great light entered the world. Rabchaim was born in the town of Volozhen, which is in today Belarus. It's just, it's about uh, 45 kilometers north of, um, of Minsk. And, um, there's actually some interesting legends about the birth of Reb Chaim of Volozhen. Um, so in, in those times, uh, not many people had versions of the Gomorrah. In other words, the, the Gomorrah that we have today. So today, you know, most from people have a version of Shas in their home, but in those days it wasn't the case. They, they were quite hard to come by, the different volumes of the Talmud. And the, uh, the parents of Rav Chaim Velozhin were, they had a few volumes of the Talmud and the rabbi of the time was the famous Shagas Arya, who was a great genius. And so they invited him to come and learn in their home because they had the swearing, they had different volumes of Shas. And when uh, Rav Chaim's mother went into labor, her name was Rivka. So she, there's two different versions of this legend. The one version is she went to the other end of the house because she didn't want to disturb the learning of the Shagas area. And he said to her after the baby was born, you wanted your voice not to disrupt any learning. Your um, So your blessing will be that your child's voice of learning will be heard throughout the world. So that's the one version that you want not to disturb the learning, so the sound of learning of your child should spread throughout the world. The other version is that um, the first thing she wanted her child to hear was the sound of the learning of the Shagas Arya, and then he said to her that you wanted to ensure that your child would hear the voice of Torah, the whole world will hear his voice of Torah. So either way, we see, you know, what kind of a home the Shagas Arya came from. So he he studied in Minsk um, with Rabbi Rav, Rav a famous rabbi of the time, his name was Rabbi Raphael HaKohen. And then he studied also a little bit with the shagas Arya in um, Velozha. At the age of 19, his life changed forever. He went to Vilna and he met the Vilna Goen, the great Goen of Vilna, the great um, Rabbi Eliyahu Kramer. And um, when he met the Goen, he said to him that he had learned Seder Moed 14 times. Seder Moed is... Is, uh, the, all of the section of the Talmud that deals with the uh, Shabbos and the Yomim Tovim and the daily life of a Jew. And he said, um, the Gohan said to him, you've learned the word only 14 times and you expect so he thought, I've learned it 14 times, it's a great thing. He was a young man, he was 19 years old. I mean, most people haven't learned say their whole life. He had done it already 14 times at the age of 19. The Gohan wasn't in print. He said, you've only learned it 14 times and you expect to know it. So he said to him, how many times must I learn it? 101 times. The Goan said, there's no limit. You can learn it your entire life. In other words, you know, there's no end to learning. And the Goen became his Rebbe Mufak. Rebbe Mufak means like his primary teacher of Torah. There's actually another beautiful inter- interpretation of Rebbe Mufak, um, of the Toysos Yom. The Toysos says, Rebbe Mufak, Mufak means to shine is the Rebbe who made the Talmud shine. That's the Rebbe Mugat, which is a beautiful um, interpretation. In 1765, he left Vilna, and uh, at the age of 26, so he was seven years by the Gouin, at 26 he became the rabbi of Velozhin, which is actually quite a rare thing, because usually an individual doesn't become the rabbi of the town that he came from. Um, I know the Ponevichia Rebbe told my Rebbe, Rabbi, he told him that, you know, um, I couldn't become the, the, the rabbi of my town because um, the people in the town, when I, after I went to yeshiva, I went back to the town. They said, you know, we all remember you playing marbles outside. So how could you then become their rabbi? So that's an interesting thing. Um, but Reb Chaim was an exception to that rule, and he became the rabbi of the town of Voloshan. And um, he had an idea. He had a, a, quite a radical idea, which was certainly influenced and molded by his very brother von brother He wanted to start a different kind of learning in Lithuania. Up until then, the way it worked in the Jewish world was that the, the boys would go to Kheda and they would learn until their bar mitzvah. And then after their bar mitzvah, they would go out and work and help contribute to the expenses of the family. They were all dirt poor. There were very few economic opportunities. And uh, all hands were needed, all hands on deck. Um, and only those mitsu Yanim only the excellent students that had a very sharp mind, were then identified by the Rabbonim in the in the Khadarim, in the Khaidas, and they were then sent to the Rabba of the town and they then wouldn't have to go out and work. They would stay, continue learning with the rabbi of their town. He would part of the rabbinic duties of the Rob is that he would learn in the shul and whoever Wanted to learn with him, he would teach them, and uh, the boys that were um, noticed and stood out, um, which were very few, were then sent to the rabbi of the town. They would learn together, and if he continued to show promise, the rabbi of the town would then send him to other greater rabbonim, to big de chachamim, and that's how the the chachamim de um, were developed, were nurtured in at the time. But it means that the vast majority, very very few, were actually Torah scholars. So from the age of 13, and you know, uh, the mind of a child at 13 is a young adolescent. He's not developed very much. And so therefore, that's when the the Torah learning ended. And so most of the population were not scholars and were Amayaris, did not have a great background in Torah learning. It was only the very, um, exceptional few that were. And he said, you know, he was concerned with the Haskalah. The Haskalah was the movement which they called the Enlightenment, that's how we translate it, it was a massive movement, firstly in Western Europe, and then in, um, Eastern Europe, in, in the, in the uh, 18th century predominantly, that it was the time of the Renaissance and the, and new ideas coming, democracy and freedom coming to, to Western Europe. And so, certainly in Western Europe, the Jews were wanting now to, to become like the non-Jews and to enter into the universities and to embrace this new democratic view of life in the world. And to throw off the shackles of the past. And there were many new, exciting, very enticing ideas that were attracting the youth of the Jewish people. Rachein Velozhin saw that. And in fact, the Haskalah movement um, attacked the traditional Jewish um, part of, of society and said that it's archaic that it's ancient that it's that it's not embracing the modern world we have to now we're living a new modern world and we now for the first time as Jews are accepted in european society and therefore we need to leave the shackles of the past and enter into this new era of um, the equality of all human beings and the striving to improve all of humanity and so many many young jews left the fold and were enticed by this new wave of, um, of life in Eastern, Euro- in Western Europe. In Eastern Europe was a, bit a little bit different. They didn't want to emulate the, the non-Jews because they weren't embraced and accepted by the non-Jews, but they wanted to embrace new approaches and new understandings of life. That's when Zion- Zionism was secular Zionism came around. That's when uh, communism, socialism were very strong waves that attracted um, the Jews of that time. And Rakhineh saw the danger of that And realized unless there were institutions Of learning to counter the pull of the, of the enlightenment Of the Haskalah So the next generation would be ignorant of Torah And would leave Torah Would God forbid turn their backs on Torah And on observance So he came up with this great idea To develop a new wave Of approach of learning Of uh, education Within the Jewish world Stay with us we'll discuss
0: it in a moment This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 Chai FM.
1: We're talking about the great Rav Chaim whose Yotzat is the Shabbos. And Rav Chaim was uh, his 102nd Yotzad is the Shabbos. Um, and he came up with a radical idea. He saw how The winds of change were blowing very strongly throughout Europe, both Western and Eastern Europe. And unless modifications were made in the Jewish world, they wouldn't be able to stand up to those strong winds. And so he came up with the concept, being nurtured and influenced very strongly by Israel, to start a Torah teaching institution. It had never been done before before. in other words, as I discussed, the previous way was just you know, the select few were sent to um, great rabbis throughout Lithuania and they were tutored um, personally. But now Reb Chaim wanted to set up an institution where Torah would be taught um, to large numbers of people who would come and stay there and, and, and be able to have the opportunity to learn Torah in a very deep way um, on a larger scale. And so he came up with this idea He went to the Goen with the idea And the legend tells us There's a legend that says and You know these legends are important Because they tell us a lot about The mindset and what was going on The, legend says the Goen said it's a good idea But not yet Not now um, And he went a few years later To the Goen again And then the Goen said yes It's a great idea Go for it And do all you can to implement And execute this idea so he said to the Goan, well, I came to you the last time, and you, you said not now. And the Goan answered and said to him, last time you were so enthusiastic. There was too much of you in this project, and it wasn't enough um, of you being out of it and it being done for the Jewish people. But now I see you've cooled, and you have a much better perspective, and it's not about your ego, but it's about what needs to be done for Klai Yisrael, and therefore now is the right time. And so once the goen gave him the go-ahead, he uh, worked feverishly in order to set up the first yeshiva in Lithuania called the Velozian Yeshiva. And that's why it's known as the mother of all yeshivas. And even though goen du- the goen died in eighteen 18- in 1797, and Rechaim set up the yeshiva in 1803, it took him just over five years to get the idea off the ground and implement it. Um, and he wrote a famous letter to the Rabbonim of, of L- Lithuania. All the, the uh, known Rabbonim in Lithuania received this letter from Rukhonim. And he said, times have changed, and it's very important that we um, deal with the reality that we're facing. And unless we do this, our next generation is going to be lost to Torah and be lost to Klaus Yisrael. And so, in such emergency circumstances, we need to set up this institution. And I hope that you will support me in this endeavor and that you will send your best students from your town and that you will raise funds for the yeshiva and help um, fund the running of the yeshiva. And he's – at first, you know, within the Jewish world, we don't take change easily because um, we follow the tradition that we have inherited from our ancestors for centuries – and that is the successful formula of life that God gave the Jewish people. And so when there are radical changes and innovations, they are viewed with skepticism. Um, but since Reb Chaim himself was such a great Talmud Chacham, and since he was the number one student of the Gona of Wilda, so that credibility enabled the Jewish world to think about what he was saying and to consider his recommendation – and he was able to push it through and the, he received widespread support from the Rabbonim throughout Lithuania. And so the yeshiva began, the great yeshiva of Velozhin. And it became a great learning center within Eastern Europe. And, uh, Rukhaim himself in his lifetime saw, he saw over a hundred Talmudim in the yeshiva. He built it up to a hundred by the time he died in 1821. Um, he, um, He saw one of his Talmudim already open another yeshiva, the Mir yeshiva, in his lifetime. And uh, so that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the yeshiva movement. And it was uh, the start of an essential educational innovation that would be the savior of Qal Yisrael in the 19th century and 20th century. And as a result of the Volashim Yeshiva, Reb Chaim succeeded in setting up the Yeshiva. It, it lasted almost 100 years. It lasted until 1897. Uh, by that time, the anti-Semitic czarist government made um, impossible demands on the administration of the Yeshiva. and They forced them to teach secular studies the whole day. And they made other very uh, difficult demands on them that the um, the Natsib decided to close Yeshiva, actually, interestingly, in 1897. But by that time, it had already produced the leaders of the new generation of the Jewish people. And, uh, when Rab Chaim died in 1821, his son took over, of um, Yitzhak And, uh, after his son died in 1840, so it was taken over by his, uh, Rav Itzla's sons-in-law. Um, well, the one son-in-law in particular took over. Um, and, uh, in, 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 in yeah, was it in 1849? Sorry, it was in 1849. And it was taken over by his, uh, one-selling lover of Eliezer Isaac. Um, and after that, uh, well, he died four years later, and then the famous Natsif took over the yeshiva, and then the Natsiv, uh, Chaim, Soloveitchik joined him. He was married to his granddaughter, and to that, they, uh, really reached its peak under the leadership of the Natsiv and Rav Chaim, Volodian, uh, Rav Chaim Soloveitchik. Um, so the, the great yeshiva, really established the foundation of of Torah learning within Eastern Europe and from Velojan, the mother of yeshivas, was born a whole number of other yeshivas. Um, the, the the famous yeshivas of Lithuania all came out of and were um, given birth by Velojan. So whether it was Mir or Ponovich or Slobodka or Tales, um, they were Grodno, they were all offshoots of the original Velocian and Shiva that were set up by Chaim of Velocian. Please stay with us, we'll be back in a moment.
0: This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxteen on 101.9 High FM. So
1: let's end off with some Torah of Rav of Velozhin. He not only founded the mother of yeshivas, the Velozhin of yeshiva, but he also wrote some classic works. He wrote his famous work called Nefesh HaKhaim, which is a description, a, the, a description of the importance of mitzvahs and the importance of learning of Torah and how they bring tremendous spiritual art to the world. Um, his famous uh, commentary on Pirkei was called Ruach Haim, which is absolutely beautiful and inspiring. In the introduction to Nefesh Shachaim, his son, Rav Yitzchak, who took over the yeshiva from him when he died, he writes the following. He says that his father always used to rebuke him when he saw that he wasn't becoming involved in the problems of others. And his father would say, That, that is the purpose of a human being, the essence of a human being. We weren't created only for ourselves. We were created to assist and help others. We all have abilities. We all have strengths. We all have gifts that God has given us. And those gifts weren't given us to become famous and to become wealthy and for our own selfish benefit. But rather they were given to us to enhance the lives of others, to help uplift the plight of others. And he said... An amazing thing. Listen to this beautiful teaching of Rav And that is what we will close with. Um, the Gemara Baruchah says, So the Gemara says that Hashem only gives wisdom to one who has wisdom. Um, and the pastor of Daniel says, That gives wisdom to those that are wise. So if Hashem um, will only give wisdom to those that are wise... How does somebody become wise? How does somebody actually get wisdom in the first place? Those are the wise that give them more wisdom. That's what the Gemara says. That's what the pastor Daniel says. But how does a person start out? How does a person get wisdom in the first place? So Rav Chaim Volozhin writes, writes both in Nefesh and in Ruach Chaim, he says the initial wisdom of a person is, which is a prerequisite for added wisdom, is Yira Sashem, is the fear of God. And that's, as it says in the Pasuk, in Eov, it says, that fearing the fear of God, that's wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. That's what David al writes in Mm Tehillim. And the Gemarim Baruchos says, So, which means in reverence and awe for the Creator, that's the beginning of wisdom. When a human being makes that realization... Like Avram Avinu that sees that there is a creator. There must be a creator. We live in such a sophisticated, magnificent, perfect world which facilitates the life of a human being. A human being which is such an incredible creature with so much depth and so many nuances and so much um, richness is within a human being. These are not coincidences. They are not chances. That is ludicrous. These are designed. the world. And the human, the pinnacle of creation, a human being, is designed by God. Uh, This creature with a body and a soul is deliberately created. And each one has the opportunity to see the creator and to live a life connecting to the creator or to shut that out of their mind and to ignore that fact. And that's the beginning of wisdom. Those that see the creator, that's where wisdom begins. That's the start. That's the a pathway to wisdom, and says Rosh when a person makes a realization, so then their wisdom will grow. Then they can continue to develop and grow. But if they do not see that most basic, elementary fact of life that there must be a sophisticated creator, so then their wisdom won't grow and won't be fed. And that's actually very interestingly, a lot that we have in Shulchan Aruch, that says, that if you see a wise person, you say the bracha, brocha da Hashem, uh, obviously it means not just anybody, like a great Torah like of Gershon Edelstein, who just passed away, we're supposed to say the bracha, bracha da Hashem, that blessed Hashem, is Hashem, who apportioned of His wisdom, to those that fear Him. But why is the bracha to those that fear him? It should be to, uh, a bracha to those that have wisdom. Hashem it should be. But it's, uh, instead it says to Luria because Rav Chaim says that's the beginning. The one who fears Hashem will be the one who will develop their wisdom. And will be able to be a wise person like that person is. And that's why he's saying the bracha. So it explains very beautifully the pathway to wisdom that Reb Haim teaches us, and he created the foundation of wisdom in the world by starting the Yeshiva movement, and to this day, um, 220 years later, um, it's exactly 220 years since the Voloshan Yeshiva was created, so we see the vital contribution of Reb Haim Voloshan and how his Yeshiva movement really saved the Jewish world. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.